This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. I am delighted and proud to introduce him as Academy Award winner. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to the winner. It's a tie. And any little girl who's who's practicing their speech on the telly, you never know. Mom, I just want an Oscar. I am Katie Rich. I'm here with Richard Lawson. Hello. With David Canfield. Hi. And with Rebecca Ford. Hi. David is coming to us now from the Savannah Film Festival, so we're going to keep talking about the fall festival circuit, uh, who is going, who's really benefiting from being at those events. We're going to look ahead to the release of Sofia Coppola's Priscilla and where that might fit into the conversation. And we figured now is as good a time as any to dive deep into the screenplay races because it feels especially competitive this year. We have a listener question for Richard coming up in a minute. Um, But first, we should start with the Gotham Awards, which announced their nominations this week. They're always first out of the gate. I think I always forget that they come before Halloween, which feels slightly crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and they feel especially crazy this year, I think, because they got rid of their budget cap. Um, but Rebecca, you wrote about the nominations for us. They did pretty much stick to their indie roots in the end. Yeah, I thought it skewed quite indie. Um, but we did find out that several studios chose um, not to submit their bigger budget films. So we knew we wouldn't be seeing Oppenheimer, or Killers of the Flower Moon or The Color Purple on this list um, because the studios sort of decided, I guess, that they wanted the Gothams to stick to their um, indie roots with one major exception which was Barbie was submitted. Um, And we can talk about that surprise nomination. But overall, yeah, you know, we see Past Lives, All of Us Strangers did really well. Um, All of Us Strangers got four nominations. Past Lives got three, including in the the best feature category, which is the top group. So that doesn't surprise me in any way to see those nominations. Yeah, I think Passages leading the Gotham nominations um, was an inevitable outcome from the moment that Passages was released. (laughs) And I'm delighted to see it. David, you said that all of your friends were nominated, which I don't, I don't think you meant literally, but I think you you had some personal favorites in this mix. Imagined friends. I mean, passages, <laughs> everyone involved in passages. We had Iris Sacks on Little Gold Men. Um, I love that movie. And it came out in August before the fall deluge. So I, I'm really happy to see that uh, the nominating committees remembered it, especially nominated uh, Franz Rogowski's great performance But generally, it's just a really exciting group of movies, I think. So, yeah, Andrew Scott, a friend, Anjanou Ellis-Taylor, a friend, friend of the show, friend of (laughs) Awards Insider, however you want to put it. Of our hearts. Yeah, people we like. The Gothams often have this mix of titles that we're talking about all season, Anatomy of a Fall, Poor Things, um, Passages and Past Lives, like we were saying, and then a couple of titles where you're like, I don't know what that is. So I, the research I have to do is on Totem, which got an international feature nomination. Uh, Breakthrough Director has some fascinating titles like Blue Jean that I didn't know anything about. So um, And even in the acting categories, you know, you get nominees, you get a nominee for a film called Our Father the Devil, which I didn't know about. So I'm glad that the Gotham can stick to that really um, discovery-focused mission that they've had in years past. Yeah, and I think because, you know, speaking of discoveries, the fact that on this podcast we've been been sort of complaining about how these breakthrough actors that we're really excited about can't be out there. It's really nice to see like Charles Melton and Divine Joy uh, Randolph on the list for supporting performances because um, I think we we all feel that those are really deserving. So I think any little bit helps uh, at this moment, um, you know, for these actors that aren't able to get out there themselves because of the strike. 
But that supporting performance group is also where Barbie's Ryan Gosling is included, which he is indeed. Um, I, I love, but it, you know, it does definitely stand out because we did see a lot of those other big budget blockbusters uh, choose not to submit uh, for this one. It makes perfect sense for that to be the place that Barbie could get nominated. Like, yeah, I don't I don't totally. know what to make of these studios choosing not to submit. I think it really muddies the waters that are already mm-hmm. pretty muddy. Um, but he deserves it. And I'm really happy to see. I think that supporting lineup might be even better than the lead lineup. There's some great picks in there. Yeah. Julia Binoche is so great in The Taste of Things. It's kind of borderline lead supporting performance. I was but just going to ask about that. Mm-hmm. I still haven't seen that one. It's not uh, It's not category fraud or anything. I think it's fair, um, just given her amount of screen time mainly in the movie, even if she is kind of the focal point at the same time, uh, for her to be there. Uh, and she's just really wonderful. And I, I kind of hope she, she gets to be in that conversation again this season in a bigger way. Um, she's been doing really good work in a lot of movies <laughs> and she hasn't been nominated in quite some time. Um, I did also want to go back to totem for a second, Katie, because it's, that's the Mexican entry for the Oscar and it's a really mm. wonderful film. And it's really impressive that it is in that international feature category because the other nominees there are all of a strangers, anatomy of a fall, poor things in the zone of interest, all of which yeah. could very easily be nominated for best picture at the Oscars. So for that to be, the fifth movie in that group, um, there's a, clearly a lot of passion behind it, and I think rightly. Yeah. Yeah, and to further emphasize the category confusion, only Zone of Interest is eligible at the Oscars for international feature. Uh, so there's there's a lot to navigate <laughs> there. And Totem. <laughs> oh, yeah, aside from Totem. Um, speaking of personal favorites of this podcast, uh, Tiana Taylor getting nominated for 1001, which I believe also was nominated for Breakthrough Director and did it get a, no, a third nomination? It, it did really well, which is a Focus Features it's release that came out early this year. It's in Best oh, Feature. Yeah. It's really good and has been kind of slept on. You know, Focus has the holdovers coming later this year. Dave and Joey Randolph got a nomination from the Gothams for that one. I think it is a more typical Oscar contender in many ways. But I just I love seeing a movie from earlier this year, kind of like showing up another one where it came out. It was kind of quiet and it deserves to be back in it this year. Yeah. To Rebecca's earlier point, um, movies like May, December, where Charles for which Charles Melton was nominated and 1001, uh, Tana Taylor, like these are independent movies that are backed by, in the case of 1001, Focus Features, which uh, is under Universal, therefore AMPTP, uh, and obviously May, December was bought out of Cannes by Netflix. So these are movies that have been, you know, limited by what they can do, despite what the nature of, despite their nature as movies. And so these nominations for those people, especially, I think, become quite important. The Gothams have very small nominating committees, and it's very you know, particular to their tastes. So you can't read too, too much into them. But I do wonder with all the limitations right now, if if some of these can stand out a little bit more. I was reminded in Rebecca's write-up, you know, I, I do agree that the Gothams are not especially useful bellwether for anything mm-hmm. else in award season. But um, last year's Gothams, Ki Hui Kwan goes and gives his first great award- speech of many that award season. Um, it didn't hurt. Like that was kind of the beginning of a big steamroller. And that you can imagine that happening again if someone can actually go and accept their award. Oh, gosh, I hope so. But these <laughs> awards are pretty soon. I mean, November 27th is not that far away. So I I don't know what they're going to do if we're talking three of these categories wouldn't have winners there unless, I mean, Greta Lee can go. You know, there are a handful. Mm-hmm. Kaylee Spaney can go. But it, it's it would just be super weird if if three of the categories just don't won't have the winners there. I'm Bobby Finger. And I'm Lindsay Weber. Do you ever see a new face or name on your news feeds and say, who the heck is that? Our podcast, Who Weekly, is everything you need to know about the celebrities you don't. Think of us as your cheat code to People Magazine, your glossary for Hollywood, a shortcut to understanding pop culture at large. For the past eight years, Who Weekly has been telling listeners everything they need to know about the celebrities they don't. The New Yorker says we spelunk deep into the demimonde with convivial delight. That's a direct quote. Mostly, we're going to explain to you Irish star Barry Keoghan's sudden rise to fame and relationship with a not-so-under-the-radar pop princess named Sabrina. The fake wedding Real Housewives star Cynthia Bailey had to promote a limo rental company. 
and why all the Gen Zers you know are talking about a guy named Benson Boone. Each episode goes deep into the biggest celebrity stories of the moment. And if you're still confused, we even have a weekly call-in episode where we answer the most burning celebrity queries. Who Weekly airs twice weekly with brand new episodes on Tuesdays and Fridays. Listen and follow Who Weekly, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. Wondry's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip-syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segeith, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Okay, as I teased at the beginning, Richard, we have a listener email for you specifically because our listener, Mikael, uh, wants to know who you're predicting to win Best Actor because I don't know if you knew this, you have been correct for the past three or four years about who is going to win um, until you change your mind about Anthony Hopkins, but we're going to forgive you for that. And I don't know. I mean, because, I, yeah, I mean, I think maybe the last year doesn't count because I was saying... Uh, Austin Butler until the bitter end. So I don't know. I think that <laughs> I've created a mystique <laughs> about my predicting abilities that is not earned. Um, I think this year is really hard. We, we've kind of talked about it a bunch already. Like I'm just, you know, consulting our, our colleagues at, at uh, Gold Derby. And it seems kind of evenly split between Killian Murphy and Bradley Cooper. As we've talked about, I feel like Maestro has suffered mightily from not being able to promote Though that movie's not out for a while, so they do have time left. Um, the one that I'm really interested in recently. So I'm not prepared to make a prediction. By the way, that's just my that's my cop out. Okay, you're, you're passing the buck. That's I'm passing fair. the buck a little bit. If I had to pull a name out of a hat right now, um, I would say Killian Murphy because I think that he could get swept up with more Oppenheimer wins, um, much in the way of I don't know certain supporting actresses for certain movies last year. But I don't know. I, maybe it's just because the movie, the movie just came out and he's been in the news a ton. You know, Scorsese, that is. But I feel like Flower Moon has been much mm. bigger than I thought it was going to be. Like, in terms of impact, people talking about it. There has been some pushback against it, but mostly pretty positive reaction to people now seeing the movie. Um, and it made money, which is, no, I mean, you know, some money. And it made some money. And so, I don't know. I'm wondering if DiCaprio, it's been eight years since his last win. Is that enough of a gap? Um, I mean, gaps in the past haven't mattered. Tom Hanks won back-to-back. Mahershala Ali won back-to-back pretty much. Um, I don't know. Does anyone feel that happening? I mean, he's playing a detestable villain in the movie, but he is really good in it. Um, And I'm wondering if the Irishman getting all those nominations and no wins has weirdly primed the pump for Flower Moon to actually win some big things, which we can also get into a screenplay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, people really love Flower Moon, even... More than I expected. I mean, I th- I think it's a pretty incredible film. I thought the runtime would maybe turn some people off, but it seems to have a lot of admiration. So, yeah, I mean, I think I'm still going with Cooper. I'm. What I think will happen is the actors will come back in time and he will just do this whirlwind campaign and talk about all the things he did to transform and come up on top. But... Uh, I see what you're saying about DiCaprio. I definitely, it feels much more possible now than a week ago. Yeah, it, it does. I, I think the challenge for that is that campaign isn't really going to change when the strike ends. Like he's not going to do much of anything and anything he does will be really to support Martin Scorsese and especially Lily Gladstone, just based yeah. on what we saw out of Cannes and uh, the press that they had banked before the strike started. The other question is is just the kind of role it is um because in addition to it being a villain and i wrote about this a little bit last week he's very manipulated in this film and he's very good at being manipulated playing a character who's manipulated but 
he's not as much of an you know an instigator. He doesn't drive the action in the way that I feel like they like in this category. It's a it's a tough one because I think it really is one of his best performances. So it's it's I, I'm the last thing I'm saying is he doesn't deserve it, but it feels a little bit far from how this category usually goes, both in terms of campaigning and what they like to look at. I would have said the same thing that Richard did toward Lily Gladstone, basically. Like, yes. Killers being bigger than expected makes me think that, like, even though we all thought she was gonna, going to go supporting, like, maybe that could have happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, people have been appropriately effusive about her performance over the weekend, um, which is exciting. And now, all of a sudden, it's like, okay, yeah, it totally makes sense that she's running in lead. Like, it has it has the, um, the power behind it. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I also think that if staying on the best actor track, like if they love the holdovers and want to give it something, but aren't quite ready to give it best picture or director or screenplay or whatever, like maybe Giamatti. Um, I know I just said like last week or the week before that there's a possibility he gets kind of, you know, blank like he did for sideways. <laughs> but if he gets in that movie is heartwarming in a way that flower moon is decidedly not, it's not queer and kind of alienating the way that maestro might be for some voters. And it will be out more recently, unlike Killian Murphy and Oppenheimer. He's, you know, he's his thing initially peaked, you know, months ago at this point. So maybe Giamatti will be fresh in people's minds and uh, they'll want to kind of give him, you know, the the so-called career Oscar. I think he would be my pick, I think, at this point. Also, with the logic that if Oppenheimer is going to sweep a bunch of categories, which is what I think will happen, that they get to Murphy and they're like, okay, like, look, we've given it enough. Let's go on to somebody else, which is kind of crazy because the entire movie's about him and also a year after everything, everywhere, yeah, all at once, betting against a sweep might not be wise, <laughs> but I don't know. I like the Giamatti theory a lot. That's interesting. I, I really do think it's pretty wide open. I mean, yeah. I, I don't feel comfortable predicting anyone right now. But it, big reason being, we just don't really know how it will change when the strike ends. If the strike ends, I don't even know how to put it at this point. But <laughs> Yeah, I think in the past when I've made sort of bold predictions, like I, I did predict Fraser for the whale out, out of Venice, you know, and Hopkins for the father outside of out of Sundance and Emma Stone. for. It, sometimes you see those movies and you're like, well, there's just no beating that. Um, mm-hmm. But I said that about Bradley Cooper and Star is Born, so what the hell do I know? <laughs> well, look, I, I'm, I'm siding with yeah. you on that part of history. I felt that way about Robert Downey Jr. and Oppenheimer, yeah. kind of coming out of that movie being like, oh, all of those stars are mm-hmm. aligning. Wait, but David, are you going to make a prediction? <laughs> you said oh, the rest of us uh, did. I think at this point, I would probably predict Bradley Cooper. I had been on Killian Murphy for a while, but then I'm thinking a little bit more about what the campaign trail is going to look like. And I just don't, you know, I think people like Coleman Domingo and Jeffrey Wright will get a huge leg up on the campaign trail. And I think people like DiCaprio and Murphy will be more flat. I just don't see Kelly Murphy, you know, people falling in love with him necessarily on the campaign trail, the way they fell in love with say Michelle Yeoh. Bradley Cooper's kind of in that in-between spot where he has a lot to talk about. No one's been able to get out there for the movie, and that's a huge boost. And it's just a great performance. So that would be where I am today. But that's a very soft prediction. I do think this uh, makes the case that Best Actor maybe more than the other categories. So you can make like five very strong arguments for why five different people could win or seven people, really, if you start doing the math. It's um, it's very in flux. Yeah, it's fun that it's so competitive this year because the last few years, I feel like it really hasn't been that exciting of a category. So yep. at least we'll have fun with it, even though we all have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, David, as I mentioned at the start, you are in Savannah right now for the Savannah Film Festival, um, one of many regional film festivals on this circuit in October, as we talked about recently. Um, but now that you're there on the ground, you're seeing some people able to get out there for their movies. Um Who's really popping? Who's standing out? What films are people talking about? Um, who's getting a leg up in Savannah? Well, so far, it's it's a lot of the films we've been talking about. Uh, American Fiction got a, a big award over the weekend for Court Jefferson. Uh, and I know that one played really, really well from what I heard. Uh, I moderated a Q&A with just Jimmy Chin for Nyad. Uh, and he seemed very tired, but... You know, everyone loves coming to Savannah, so everyone's everyone's happy to happy to make this stop, uh, even as there are many many stops uh, this month and next. Um, I think going into the weekend is going to be really interesting. Um, 
This is a really good festival for enthusiasm because you have a lot of students in the audience. And, you know, if there are audience questions, they ask really good questions. And if not, then they're just, you know, very engaged by um, what the filmmakers and the performers have to say. But um, on Friday, I am uh, moderating Q&As with both Kaylee Spaney, and I know we're going to talk a little bit more about Priscilla, and Greta Lee uh, for Past Lives. Uh, They're both being honored uh, this weekend, and they're both, as we've talked about, able to do this kind of thing. Uh, And this is a really big stopover, I think, for actors, um, just to be able to be presented in front of a big crowd with that kind of weight behind them. And uh, A24, I think, is really excited about that. So... That's the day I'm really watching it. That's also the day that The Color Purple is going to be debuting some first look footage. uh, And that's the big get of this festival. Tonight also, it's Monday night that we're recording, Monday that we're recording. Tonight we'll see the premiere in Savannah of May, December. And that's actually a really big deal because they shot it here. So the whole crew is here. They're doing a huge panel. And Netflix will be throwing a little cocktail party after that. Um, And I had spoken to Todd Haynes last week, and I know that they were really ecstatic to be able to come here uh, and share the movie with uh, the town where they got to make it. And there were a lot of students who got to work on the film. Uh, So yeah, that's that's one that's really anticipated tonight. I can't really see, like, hip art students liking that movie, you know? It just doesn't really seem to (laughs) match with their their sort of aesthetic and interest. (laughs) No, that'll be huge there. That's really exciting. Yeah, uh, and I'm really glad that they were able to bring so many people who worked on the movie out. And I'm sure they're bummed that they couldn't have Natalie or Julianne or Charles here. Um, but it'll be a, definitely one of the biggest events of the festival. And in my experience at that festival, like kind of chatting at cocktail things or at one of the hotels where people hang out, is there are obviously a ton of Savannah locals who um, are kind of mm-hmm. swells. But a lot of sort of movers and shakers from L.A. and New York come to that festival every year because it's so it gets big titles. It's a pleasant place to be. There's great food. It's small. It's, you know, pretty accessible. So, like, there are definitely – we were talking about the kind of regional festivals uh, recently. Like, that is one where it really can make an impact in the broader sort of view of a movie. It's not just local. Yes, that's a really important point. There's a lot of documentary people here. The trades have panels for artisans and for docs. And that just brings a lot of attention to um, all of these movies that are jockeying for these spots and that attention. Uh, And when you have even just people from all these movies and all these contenders coming to one place, they're seeing what they're up against. And it creates this kind of conversation that definitely extends beyond coastal Georgia. Do you think May-December is going to get an advantage for being fun? Which I'm imagining the Savannah crowd will respond like the same way I saw it in a screening room. The um the line that in your interview, David, Christine Vachon identified as a first gay meme got a howl of laughter when I saw it. And I'm <laughs> assuming it will in Savannah too. I mean, there are fun movies. You know, Barbie's out there this year. Poor Things is really fun. Like there's kind of liveliness that you don't always get in the Best Picture race. But I feel like May-December could really use that to its advantage. Yeah, this is my thing about this movie uh, and why I believe that it can go a little bit further uh, than, you know, people are expecting, most people are expecting right now. And I un- absolutely understand those challenges, but it is a it is a movie that both plays great in the crowd and is just fun and is, in addition to all that, beautifully made, brilliantly acted, and I would expect it to play really well here. I think that everyone is expecting that by the time this podcast airs, um, it will have been, it will have played. And I assume that the word will be very good. Uh, David, you mentioned that Kaylee Spaney is present in Savannah to receive an award. Um, Priscilla is out in theaters this weekend. I'm assuming it's in limited release. I haven't looked into when it will play in my neck of the woods, but it's coming around. It remains for, I still haven't seen it yet, but the rest of you have. Um, and it remains for me one of the most divisive movies. Like I keep hmm. hearing the widest range of reactions from like masterpiece to disaster. And like that was happening ahead of Venice and it has just continued. Like they're just really. It doesn't feel like there's any consensus on this, which I think is interesting. I think it gives it a lot of direction to go in the season ahead. Like if it's a movie that people people want to yell about, that's not always a bad thing. But I wonder how we feel about it in the competition. It feels like it's always going to be like a little bit maybe behind giant contenders like the ones we've been talking about. But I wonder if its strength is going to be in kind of sparking people to argue about it. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I I know what you're talking about, Katie, in terms of like, there have been some people who are like, oh, it's the worst movie ever made. And some people who like, especially for those of us in Venice who were like raving about it. The reactions I've heard have mostly been kind of like, okay, you know, like mm. sort of like that sort of meh thing, which is like death, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, the Academy is really kind of, str- they don't really deal with Coppola's movies a ton anymore, you know? And I think that, she makes these very small, quiet movies. I mean, not quiet in the most literal sense. She had lots of music, all that stuff, but they're, they're in, you know, they can be very interior. And this one, especially, like it's a lot of Priscilla alone in this house uh, at Graceland. Um, and I think that if there were maybe a couple more big argument scenes or a bit more fire here and there in the movie, people would not have that sort of ambivalent, sort of whatever reaction. So I don't know. I just feel like. Coppola might just be kind of sort of becoming a Wes Anderson-y type where people appreciate what she does, but they don't see it as like remarkable anymore, I guess. Um, We did have someone email us asking why we kind of haven't focused on Wes Anderson's Asteroid City this Mm -hmm. year. And I think it's because it's a little bit of bias. I mean, it's been 10 years since he got that kind of awards attention. And yeah, I don't know. I kind of feel like he and Coppola, who kind of burst onto the scene around the same time, have just become sort of fixed and sort of understood as, oh, that's what they do. And you either like it or you don't. But like, we just kind of let them do their thing rather than see them each as discrete kind of works of art. Yeah, I like that comparison a lot. With Priscilla, there is this sense, just given the subject matter, um, that maybe there's a bit more attention around this movie than she's gotten in the past. And that may also be, uh, you know, the reason why we're hearing that those kinds of reactions, because I've heard them too, Katie, um, and just that spread, which has been <laughs> very dramatic. But I, I don't know, it does feel, I, I have heard a kind of groundswell for her, maybe because of that, just the naturally increased profile that comes with a movie about Priscilla Presley, where even if the film is still very Sophia, very quiet, very deliberate, there's a world in which she can maybe figure into that screenplay conversation, which I know we're going to talk about a little bit more. And certainly Kaylee Spaney is coming off of a major prize win in Venice. She's really be able to get out there. Um, so there are a few areas where I think the movie can make some noise, even if, yeah, it is not going to be that, you know, broadly appealing. It's not going to be Elvis, <laughs> uh, which we had just last year. It's It's kind of the opposite of that in every way. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it because I, I do think it hurts the film coming a year a, a after mm-hmm. Elvis as well because it, that film was so successful, you know, especially performance wise. I mean, it's exactly what Richard is saying. Like, I think Jacob Lordy is very good as Elvis in this movie, but it's both of those lead performances are quieter. And I think, I, I mean, I've heard those same divisive remarks on the, on the film. And, and and we kind of expected that we had heard, you know, there were comparisons to Marie Antoinette, which I loved, but, you know, many people did not. And so it, that is not surprising, but it does feel like almost like it's so crowded, especially those acting races that people are like, well, we'll just let this one go because it's already so divisive and it would have such an uphill climb. So I, d- I don't see it performing a lot in the nominations um, at this point, but yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting journey because Venice did feel very strong uh, and that was the right place to, to debut it for sure. Yeah, I just feel like the Academy is not that big on subtle, you know, like mm. they want declarative statements, you know, and had Priscilla been a real invective against Elvis and grooming, mm-hmm. you know, this 14 year old and if the movie kind of heaved with that sort of anger and, you know, sorrow for Priscilla and all that, uh, it would register more. Um, I think to its credit, uh, and to to sort of in in honor of of Priscilla Presley, the real person's involvement in the making of the movie and, and her book, like I, it it doesn't do that stuff. It points to things that were that I think the audience are, are meant to sort of extrapolate um, their own opinions from, but um, it's not you know it's not declarative. And I think that there's a lot this year that Priscilla has to compete with um, that are making much bigger, louder statements. I think we all feel, and again, we'll get into screenplays in a minute, that both Celine Song and Sofia Coppola are competitive in those screenplay races. But if if Greta Lee or Kaylee Spaney got 
actress nominations in a field that's really crowded, as we've said, is that where we would maybe see the biggest impact of those films having agreements? Like, is that giving them such an advantage that they really could make it in there when if it were a more normal season, it'd be harder? Sure. I think especially in the case of I guess it's a pa- real hypothetical here. <laughs> well, well, no, I mean, in the case of past lives, like, it's sort of the parasite, everything, everywhere, all at once, whatever best picture winner you want to pick, point of it's a whole cast and a director that is being discovered, and she's the face mm-hmm. of the movie. And so that is a huge benefit. And as the movie really gets out there with Academy members, I think that past lives has a broader advantage as a, you know, best picture contender, a very possible nominee um, that is able to get its really excellent cast out there with its, including its lead. And so if she were to be nominated and if, and she is totally in that conversation, then yeah, it's definitely a part of being able to introduce herself as a part of this film. Past Lives would be such a cool SAG ensemble nominee. I know we're many months away from that speculation, but I feel like smaller movies deserve to compete in there more often, and that's a perfect example. Yeah. Know that fizzy feeling you get when you read something really good, watch the movie everyone's been talking about, or catch the show the internet can't get over? At the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast, we chase that feeling five times a week. We talk about the buzziest movies, TV, music, books, and more. From lowbrow to highbrow to in-between, catch the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. Okay, as promised, we're going to wrap up today's episode talking about the original screenplay races. As I said, I do feel like these are kind of absurdly competitive and a lot like the acting races we've been talked about. There's not like an obvious narrative to grab on to, to me, in any of these. Maybe you guys see a clearer path. I think the closest to that would probably be American fiction in adapted screenplay, which is kind of the arrival of a big new filmmaking voice in Court Jefferson and a movie that people really, really like with kind of a... A clear place to reward it, maybe more so than in picture or actor or director. Um, to start an adapted screenplay, since Killers of the Flower Moon is also in there and just came out, um, is American fiction really leading the pack? Am I reading this right? Yeah, I think it depends on what, um, you know, speaking of statements, like screenplay categories are great places to give Oscars to people like Emerald Fennell and Jordan Peele and Taika Waititi, you know. If that's the kind of narrative that they want to have this year, I mean, maybe there's more an original that would satisfy that. But Core Jefferson is a really, you know, based on one film and some TV writing, like an exciting writer, exciting director. And maybe the impulse will be like, these other movies are going to win and other things. Emma Stone's going to win for Poor Things and something else is going to win for Flower Moon, maybe Lily Gladstone and Oppenheimer's going to win everything else. Let's take this opportunity to try to put, you know, sort of the Academy stamp on a very early nation career. Um, and that would be exciting. Maybe. I'm not... <laughs> I'm, not I'm not saying that's I, what I think is going to happen. Sorry, no, no. Just, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking yeah. out loud. I, 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 This category is so top-heavy that it is hard for me to see, like, if an Oppenheimer is the best picture frontrunner, just given the way the category's gone of late, that it wouldn't win, or even a poor things would seem to me to be behind that because it is such an inventive, original vision and it's going to get a lot of nominations i think american fiction yeah it kind of fits into that like maybe coda space too of you know slightly smaller film that's not going to get as many nominations that could have a ton of love behind it but i think it would have to have that coda level of love to maybe go all the way um because of late it just feels like the screenplay categories haven't been as kind to those movies as they used to be, if there is a Best Picture frontrunner ahead of them. To the, like, fresh new voice breakout yeah. kind of movie you're talking about? I think Emerald Fennell is a good example of being able to pull it off, but that also happened in part because you had No Man Land and the Father, an adapted screenplay, and it turned out that the Academy really did not care about the trial of Chicago 7. Well, then explain Women Talking, David, a movie that you never <laughs> think about or have talked about at all. I didn't scream when it won, right, Rebecca? Uh, <laughs> it still echoes in my brain, the, your, your, your holler. Women Talking was a Best Picture nominee, and that category didn't really have anybody else except for All Quiet on the Western Front. 
But I feel like that's an, a perfect example of a, what we're talking about. Like American fiction, very easy to imagine as a Best Picture nominee, might have more of a challenge to win, but would be a movie that people would really like and be like, hey, where can we award this? Oh, hey, maybe the screenplay category is the place to go. Yes, I think that's totally possible. I feel like there's a weird possibility that Oppenheimer is how Christopher Nolan gets an Oscar and he doesn't win for directing. Mm. Oh, God, that would be so weird. But like that has there is sort of precedent for that, right? Like Tarantino has only one screenplay. Yeah, Um, there are there are those kind of writer directors who it's for whatever reason, it's easier for them to to win in screenplay. And I could see like people filling out that ballot, you know, the next winter and being like, well, obviously, Chris should get something. But like, I did like X mm-hmm. movie a little more. And that was a little more, you know, etc. So mm. and he did do it himself. So I don't know, maybe, maybe that's sort of a, a, an extra factor in Oppenheimer's chances there. It's interesting with Nolan, because I think the way he's nominated is so wacky over his career. He has two screenplay nominations already, but only one directing. And and obviously, we've said no wins. So I, I, I could see that happening. I mean, I I think Tony McNamara, who wrote Poor Things, is a really, really strong contender to win here. I just... Yeah, um, I do too. Think, you know, and he was nominated for The Favorite. And I think there's just so much admiration for how original that story is, even though it is based on a book. But just um, I just feel like that could be what people just like have this level of respect for that film that I could see him winning here as well. It, it's a tight race. Yeah. And poor things, despite its kind of griminess and darkness, it's really fun. And yeah. it mm-hmm. sets the it sends the audience out of the theater or out of their screening room at their house, um, <laughs> feeling you know like there's a nice final scene that's kind of heartwarming in, a, in an unexpected way. And like, yeah, I feel like if people see that and then maybe that just solidifies it in their mind right there. They're like, well, that was great. I don't know if I'm going to give it anything else, but like, wow, all, mm-hmm. you know, it was so well worded and 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 interesting and um, and also you know he's they loved the favorite the Academy did so. Yeah, um, I feel like that that is a, a really strong contender to knock knock maybe, you know, the expected Oppenheimer win out of first position. And the favorite loss to the best picture winner, Green Book. Mm-hmm. And screenplay. We don't we don't talk about yeah, that. Yeah, I don't talk about whether or Just not saying. acknowledge that. <laughs> um, I want to throw out Richard's theory about Nolan in another direction for Scorsese, who co-wrote Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, I don't I'm trying to look up how many times he's been nominated for screenplay. I don't think that many. He doesn't often write that much um so i wonder if that's the same logic being like well i don't know if he can win director again but we want to give him another oscar here's a place where we can reward killers yeah and he's really become a celebrity again you know yeah. <laughs> because he's, the dog and the tiktoks the tiktoks and like these interviews and i feel like the more and more he is asked about marvel and then answers it's not like scorsese is like always bringing this up unprompted you know like i feel like that's become sort of an endearing tick rather than a debate point i mean people are still debating it but it's more just like oh there's you know lovable old marty back on the the amusement park movie thing um that yeah like i feel like he's moved very into like beloved grandpa you know um still you know making really like pointed biting films but I, I feel like Martin Scorsese, famous person, gave us that movie a, an extra boost in this category, for sure. And the story that he tells of how he figured this movie out, how he made this movie, is so much based in the screenplay, which right. is not typical yep. for him. But it yep. really is about how he and DiCaprio had this conversation, realized their point of view wasn't quite right, and revo- and really started from scratch and and – did something really different and interesting that obviously a lot of people have responded to. So I think just having that narrative behind them also really helps them here. Yeah, I was reading um, Richard Brody's interview with Scorsese and like Brody really praises the adaptation because it is obviously based on David Grant's book, but it's it's really its own thing because Scorsese, you know, figured out what story was in there that was best to tell. Like you were saying, David, that it took so much work to kind of crack the movie um, that you know, certainly the writing branch would appreciate the difficulty of that. Mm-hmm. All of the other people contending for this category would appreciate the difficulty of that. You know, they all they had their own difficulties. Corey Jefferson added half the of the narrative, you know, mm-hmm. to to the to the book. So I don't know. Yeah. Now I'm I again like kind of like best actor. Like I feel like this one is pretty wide open among let's say four contenders, and then maybe zone yep. of interest gets in. Just you know, it's a little nod. 
Yeah, I was just going to throw out, you know, the the other contenders we're not even talking about to see how deep this bench is. Like Zone of Interest is in there. All of Us Strangers, which is a really, to my understanding, pretty ambitious adaptation um, based on the novel that it comes from. Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. I know that's a, like, flyer yeah. that we would all like to take, but, like, I don't want to keep that out of the conversation at this point. Um, Across the Spider-Verse, The Color Purple is an adaptation. There's Origin. Uh, you know, I think we've been asking ourselves since it's Diff Vermeer, like, when is Origin going to come roaring back? It's right there. That's a really bold adaptation too there's a lot to choose from yeah i think the narrative of all of these contenders minus oppenheimer maybe is that like they did something really different you know i think well maybe poor things i haven't read that book but maybe oppenheimer did something different too and just like how faithful it is weirdly yeah but i just mean like with flower moon american fiction zone of interest origin like those are all adaptations that like take a book as like an, a sort of starting point yeah. and then you know, do something kind of, you know, it's in, more inspired by in certain cases than it is strictly based on. And I think that's a really interesting, you know, sort of narrative to have this year. And maybe one of those wins out or maybe Nolan's more like granular, uh, faithful version um, is what wins out. All right. Who's ready to take on the original? <laughs> Which is Let's do it. Maybe easier. Well, OK, first of all, broader question. Do we think Barbie stays in original? Are they going to get away with that? I don't know. It feels... That feels like kind of existential all the, all, for them. All those, ada- all, all those adapted screenplays are certainly hoping that it stays yeah. in original, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It, a, it, <sighs> to me, it, it fe- I, I've heard a lot of you know reps and people who are fully assuming it will be pushed into adapted. They just don't think. And there is a point to be made that the, the way the Academy usually judges this, it doesn't, it doesn't fit into original. I think there's mm-hmm. a compelling argument for it. And... In a new IP era, let's say, it poses an interesting question as to what that boundary is, because it is, for the most part, an entirely original creation, even as it is also very referential to Barbie's past, to her history, her impact culturally. So it's a complicated one. I think it technically goes against the rules, and I would like to say see it stay in original um, because I think it it fits the um, spirit of the category. Interesting. Like Maestro is in original and that is based on the popular Leonard Bernstein toy. So like, (laughs) you know. And his cultural impact. Right, right, exactly. (laughs) You know, I I almost said something like, yeah, but the older members of the Academy aren't going to go for Barbie. And it's like, but everything everywhere just won like 3,000 Oscars. And like, it is a different Academy than it was when I was a kid watching it. And it was just like, well, if it's a a Merchant Ivory adaptation, here you go. Here's your, you know, I guess he didn't win an Oscar until his 90s. But... But, you know, something of that ilk. And now it's it's sort of the holdovers would be a much more sort of traditional win, as would Maestro. I think straddling the line between something new and something more old school is Anatomy of a Fall, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, is new in that it's not American and it's, I don't know, written by a woman. And I mean, Barbie was too, obviously. But like, I think that that movie has been such a hit. We've been banging the drum about it for months now. Uh, maybe that sneaks by because there are just enough people who just cannot, even holding their nose, vote for Barbie for an Oscar. I don't know yeah. how much nose holding there's going to be around Barbie. I think Same. this is a, a conversation we'll keep having um, because obviously we know the Oscars can be weird about hits and hits with lots of pink in them. And, you know, it's got that problem. But I do think it's it's so big and has such a pedigree from Gerwig and Bobak that it's not going to be that big a problem. But it's a big, silly summer comedy. You know, that's the thing. Sure. I don't know. Ending on a gynecology joke has worked so well for so many <laughs> Best Picture winners in the past. That's maestro wins. <laughs> in terms of a win, it also really benefits from going from the writing branch, nominating the screenplays to everybody voting for the winner. Like, mm-hmm. I think that I could definitely see enough of the writing branch not warming to it in that way uh, and giving it to something smaller, tighter, however you want to put it. But because you're going to have everyone in the Academy voting, the fact that it is so big and really quite beloved, I think it really stands a a shot at winning. What if this is the category where they give it to the new and exciting writer, Celine Song? I was Mm going to debut here and that film may not win anywhere else or we're not sure how it's going to do in nominations. But, you know, being this playwright who who made this really incredible debut feels like this could be the place where that sort of thing does happen and it's such a personal story 
you know, Mm -hmm. and I feel like if she's out there talking about it um, in the right rooms, you know, uh, and I mean, it's evident in the movie, she doesn't need to do anything extra, you know, it's the movie is full enough. But like, yeah, I feel like she could really win people to her cause, you know, in addition to the quality of the film. Uh, And that would be really exciting. I just my cynical worry is that it's too quiet, you know. Yeah, competing against Barbie in terms of noise is tough. Yeah, or like you think of like a Jordan Peele winning. That's mm-hmm. the kind of first time screenplay that's very noisy that tends to be able to pull through. But it is a really beloved movie. And I thought, you know, I don't know, because like Jojo Rabbit was so subtle, you know? <laughs> True. <laughs> that was an adapter. That's a totally different Fair category. <laughs> but yes, I mean, I do think Diablo Cody is in some ways like the modern day model for mm-hmm. this, like the like breakout star in this category in particular. Like you make some noise, you become kind of a celebrity in your own right. Emerald, Emerald Fennell really followed that. The Daniels followed that in a lot of ways. They also won Best Director. Um, so I don't know who that is this year specifically. My current prediction, if only because I'm currently predicting it to win still, is the holdovers. Um, mm-hmm. It feels like a movie that, if it does have enough Academy love to win Best Picture, then it would have enough love to win here because it is kind of a classic screenplay movie. Payne has won screenplay categories before. He didn't write this one, but I don't, <laughs> I don't know that that changes the fact that it it does the movie does feel like such a throwback Alexander Payne movie in a lot of ways. Uh, and it helps, uh, I believe, a first-time feature screenwriter get really uh, strong, a strong foothold in the category. I think, David, there's a good chance people vote for it thinking that Payne wrote it. Right, that's mm, right. Ouch. You, know? <laughs> you said yeah. it, with, so I yeah. don't have to say it. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm not saying that that's like a bad thing. I just mean like people are going to assume, you know, like he, yeah, he co-wrote The Descendants and he he shared the Oscar with Jim Rash and Nat Faxon. But like the, you know, how much did they write? They wrote a, a screenplay based on, you know, that was The Descendants, but then, you know, Payne came in. And so maybe there will be some sort of assumption that like, yeah, there's another credited writer, but like it's, you know, they we're giving it to Alexander's movie, you know. Yeah, we actually have a piece coming out with the writer David Hemmingson um, this week because I got to sit down with him. And it's a totally fascinating story because he's a pretty well-known showrunner and TV writer, but he'd never written a feature before. And Alexander Payne read his pilot that he'd written based on his own experience in in sort of this East Coast uh, prep school and and found David and said, you know, this is a world I want to explore. And and David is the solo writing credit, but obviously gives credit to Alexander Payne for helping him really push it and shape it into a feature. It's such a wonderful, charming Alexander Payne movie that, yeah, I, I do feel like um, David Hemmingson could win an Oscar for his very first feature screenplay, which is pretty incredible if you think about it. And it's fun. It's, it, you know, it has great insults. It's moving, you know, in addition to being funny, like it, mm-hmm. it's very well rounded. Like you said, David is kind of traditional, um, but also feels peppy and modern. It doesn't feel like a kind of pointless throwback. It, it mm-hmm. actually uh, does have modern resonance. And um, yeah, that's a very strong contender. I would love it if, uh, you know what, I want everyone to win. <laughs> <laughs> That's how generous job, of you. Right? How generous of you. No, but seriously, between holdovers, uh, anatomy of a fall, past lives, uh, maestro, even like great. I'm. I don't know how I feel about Barbie, but like. <laughs> Um, even if that one, that would be kind of interesting, you know, and that's what we really crave for the, from the the Oscars. We want Greta Gerwig to have an Oscar. We can all all Americans can agree on that. But do we want Noah Baumbach <laughs> to have one? No, I'm just. Does kidding. he already have one? I, th- he, I think he does, he doesn't, doesn't he? Does he have one? I don't know. I don't think so. He was assumed for Marriage Story for a while before Parasite just bulldozed. Right, he was nominated for Squid and the Whale in in Marriage Story, but did not win for either. Another example of the Best Picture winner taking everything. There you go. You You make a fair point. I want to throw out two more. Uh, it's my job in these categories. Uh, the Iron Claw is in there as an original possibility for when we actually get to see it. Um, May, December, kick it around in there. Um, uh-huh. That would be a cool nomination. Also, Air. I kind of wonder if Air is going to start making a comeback. Uh, Amazon would be very wise to put their money behind it. So I would be rooting for that one, too. For screenplay? I don't know. That- <laughs> All right, I'm going to sit here in my pro air corner. <laughs> it's it's not a it's not a against air. It's not me being against air. I just knowing the way the branch works, it feels a little like That's if they're going to go out on a limb, they don't usually go out on a limb for a commercial movie. That's just not how they typically work. David's Jordan Sparks ain't going no air, no air over there. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, and the uh, another Amazon title, I think we've all been kind of wondering about where Saltburn's going to go. But Emerald Fennell, a winner in this category, you know, she could she could come back yeah. in for this one too. The yeah. one thing about this branch is they are pretty hard on movies that they they tend to align with critics a lot more than the other branches. Like everyone assumed Aaron Sorkin would get in for being the Ricardos, he did not. Even the whale was pretty widely assumed to get in last year. It did not. Um, and Saltburn has been pretty mixed reviewed, especially of the movies we're talking about. Um, so that will be its climb. That said, Emerald Fennell is such a noted writer director already. And the movie has, you know, personality and you cannot deny that. So I think she is in the conversation, but it's, it's a little tougher because of the reception so far. And, I mean, Promising a Woman was divisive, but it felt like they were also crowning this new Promising Young Talent. Oh, look at that. Promising. Wow, look <laughs> when, at that. <laughs> that was an accident. Um, when when she won. So, yeah, I mean, it's an uphill climb, but I we do know that this branch and the Academy like her a lot. So I, I, that'll be an interesting one to watch. But I do wish Fair Play was get a more part of this discussion because I do think it's a pretty knockout screenplay, um, even if it doesn't play in other categories. This is the one category I was hoping it would remain in the conversation, but I'm not sure if it will at this point. That does it for this week's show. We will be back next week. Find us at VanityFair.com. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at VF Awards Insider. I am on Twitter and Blue Sky at Katie Rich and Richard. Twitter and Instagram at Rylas and I forget my Blue Sky, but I do have one. <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, David? Uh, barely Twitter, David Canfield 97. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't expect that. I'm, I'm the same. Becca M. Ford. <laughs> Our editor and producer, as always, is Brett Fuchs. And this week's award for the likeliest Best Picture winner of 2025 goes to Katie Rich. The dog and the TikToks. The Run for Revoke is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am Fran Libowitz. Um, We should be the mayor of New York. We all support yeah, that. we support that. Very <laughs> nice. <laughs> Nikki. Yes. It's been really great she being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asher, can you hear us? I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me? We can. We can. All right, here we are. <laughs> On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run through until we are... AWOK. Can you tell us what AWOK means? It means um, A-W-O-K and a winter okay. I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mal. And we're the hosts of The Run Through with Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us. It's AWOK. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.